3, verses 11 through 15 this morning will be our passage uh, that we'll study. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse number 11, look there where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. That's Quite the section to tackle in one Sunday school lesson, but that's what we're going to attempt to do by unifying the thoughts um, around one principle. We could take we could take each of those verses, we could take each of those concepts, and spend a week uh, on each of those uh, individually. But we're trying to finish the chapter by the end of the year, and so we'll not take time to do that. But this is one of one of many passages in your New Testament that deal with relationships. And fellowship within the body of Christ and our, our dealings with one another. There is so much material on that topic in the Bible, and this is one example of those passages. So what the passage highlights, the title of the lesson this morning, would be Three Keys to Christian Fellowship. Three Keys to Christian fellowship. And the first of those is found in verse number 11. And the first key to Christian fellowship is Christ-centeredness. Christ-centeredness. Again, the verse says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. It says, there is none of that so long as Christ is all and in all. Now, it does not state that these things do not exist. When you get saved, if you're a Jew, you don't cease to be a Jew. When you get saved, if you're a Greek, your nationality, your heritage, your origin is not altered, right? If you're a bond when you get saved, New Testament times, you're still in bondage. If you were free uh, in New Testament times, you got saved, you didn't renounce your liberty. Whatever you were, you still are. There's just something that's more important now. There's something that identifies you now. We live in the day of identity politics, right? And everybody wants to be, wants to be identified by their race or their sexual orientation or their gender confusion. Brother James was preaching recently. Why is that the first thing you want me to know about you? Why is that the first topic of conversation? I don't want to know that, right? But people identify themselves. And, 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 and the, 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 more, the more minority groups that somebody can be a part of, well, then they have more, they have more oppression points and greater status in society. That's the way that thing works. But as Christians, we have a greater identity. The basis of our identity is the fact that we are in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is in us and the ground is level at the foot of the cross and it no longer matters what we are by our first birth because the second birth trumps the first birth. And that's what's in your notes there. The second birth trumps the first birth. Christ is 
is the basis of our identity. When the believers began to follow Jesus Christ in the town of Antioch, which came the headquarters for New Testament Christianity and New Testament missions, the Bible says they were called Christians first in Antioch. What are you known as? What do you want to be known as? Are you a Southerner? Are you an Alabama fan? Are you a... People, people want to be known in a variety of ways. The most important identifying characteristic of those who have been saved is that we are Christian. And if we make that more important than everything else, what our background is, where we come from, what neighborhood we live in, what car we drive, what hobbies we're interested in, our tastes and preferences... If, if we make sure that all of those things remain secondary and Christ remains primary, then you can have Greeks and Jews and barbarians and Scythian and bond and free and male and female and all put together and all get along and all be happy and all live at peace as long as Christ is the focus and Christ is the center. Colossians 2 verse number 9 says that he is in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And verse number 10 says, and ye are complete in him. Everything we need to have in order to enjoy Christian fellowship, we have in Jesus Christ. He is our commonality. He is our communion. The body that was broken. The blood that was shed. That is what makes us one. That is the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Christ-centeredness is the key to Christian fellowship. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 reads very similarly to Colossians 3.11. Galatians 3 beginning in verse number 26. Galatians 3.26. The Bible says, for ye are all the children of God. There, there's no period there. Have you heard of the fatherhood, fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man? A, a heresy. We're, we're not all the children of God. Lost people are children of disobedience. Right? By nature, you're a child of wrath. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. Okay? We are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Christ, you've been born again. If you've received him, you have a new birth. You're part of the family of God. You're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ, not baptized into water, not baptized into lake, not poured or sprinkled or whatever mode. No, this is not water baptism. This is spirit baptism. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, come on, this society could, if if they realized this verse existed in the Bible, they could take that and twist it. The statement is not that there's no such thing as Jew or Greek. The statement is not there's no such thing as bond or free the statement is not there's no such thing as male or female if you got saved a man you're still a man if you got saved a woman you're still a woman praise the lord there's no transition in the christian life 
What's the end of the statement? For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Nobody is any more saved or less saved because of what they are by the first birth. Nobody is any more in Christ or less in Christ because of their background, because of their heritage. If you're saved, you're just as saved as anybody else, but no more saved than anybody else. And if you're saved, then Jesus Christ is in you, but no more or less than any other saved person. Okay? Getting saved doesn't change what we are by the first birth. It just supersedes what we are by the first birth. So so all of these things, Jew, Greek, bond, free, male, female, barbarian, and Scythian. Everybody knows what that is. I'll tell you, just in case. Barbarian is a Greek word that's used in the New Testament to denote one of another nation. So basically, it was typically used to refer to those within the Roman Empire that did not speak Greek. Okay, they, They've been conquered uh, by Roman culture and influence, but they were, they were foreigners, barbarians. Scythian is a generalized term for rude or ignorant or degraded it often included all the nomadic tribes who dwelt mostly on the north of the Black and Caspian Sea, stretching indefinitely into inter-Asia, regarded by the ancients, standing extremely low in point of intelligence and civilization. So uh, Scythia was northern Asia and kind of right where Europe and Asia meet. It is Russia and former Soviet Union countries, that kind of an area. And apparently they had um, a reputation, in these days at least, for their low intelligence. And so it was a derogatory term. Barbarian, Scythian, Jew, Greek, but none of that matters so much as somebody is in Jesus Christ. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Keys to Christian fellowship. How can, how can we enjoy harmony and unity? How can we have the kind of relationships that would honor God and be mutually beneficial? How can we come from all different walks of life and join together in the church house and serve the Lord together and encourage one another? How is this thing supposed to work? Christ-centeredness is the key. Philippians 2, verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. With that, Colossians chapter 1, just a couple pages over. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18. So we are to be like-minded. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 18, speaking of Jesus Christ, who's before all things and by whom all things consist, he is the head of the body of the church, who's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Like-minded. Now that's difficult because we all think differently. (laughs) That's difficult because we all approach life differently. This will become very real to you when you get married one day. (laughs) Because the very most basic division, distinction, guys and girls think way different. Incredibly different, right? And this is somebody that you think you have everything in common with. Till you live together 24-7. 
And then you realize, wow, there really is a lot of difference between this male and female thing. And I, and, and I love her and she loves me and it's great. Wouldn't trade it for anything, but I'm just saying, right? And, and, and again, that's, that's two people who fell in love and wanted to spend the rest of their lives together. Okay? Now take, in this class this morning, 30 people who haven't fallen in love and don't want to spend the rest of their lives together. I mean, most of us. But I, all together, you know what I'm saying. But how are we all supposed to be like-minded? Different approaches to education, different approaches to, to money, different approaches to all kinds of things represented. How are we supposed to be like-minded? We don't think the same way. The only way for us to be like-minded is to give Jesus Christ the preeminence. The only way for us to have the same mind is for all of us to have his mind. Right? We're not all going to live life the same way. But we can all live life for Jesus Christ. We can all put him first instead of ourselves first. And if we put Jesus first instead of us first, then not everybody has to think the way that I think. Not everybody has to do the things that I do. Not everybody has to live the, the way that I live. Nobody has to dress the way that I do. You know what I'm saying? We can have some differences if we'll allow Christ to be preeminent and we can still be like-minded. Okay, so keys to Christian fellowship. How is this going to work? We've got to put Jesus Christ at the very center. Point number two, not only Christ-centeredness, but this is very important, humbleness. Humbleness. Verses 12 through 14 in Colossians chapter 3 say this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If you may have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. How many of you remember that Bible conference on the well-dressed Christian? And all of the things that believers are supposed to put on. In this passage, we're supposed to put on um, mercy. In this passage, we're supposed to put on kindness. In this passage, we're supposed to put on humility and meekness and long-suffering and forgiveness and charity and love. We're supposed to put on all of these things. It's a consistent theme throughout the New Testament, Romans 13, 14, we're supposed to put on Christ. Put on Christ. Romans 13, 12 and Ephesians 6, 11, we're supposed to put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, we're supposed to put on the new man. We've studied that several times in Colossians Chapter 3. All of these things we are supposed to put on. In, in addition to the list here in this passage. Now, if we are saved, the Bible says we have put on Christ. In Colossians 3 and verse number 10, we have put on the new man. So the fact of the matter is, if we are saved, if we are born again, we have all of this stuff in the closet. All of this stuff is available. It's in the wardrobe. God has supplied it. He gave it to us with our salvation. It's up to us to go in the closet, go into the wardrobe, take it out, and put it on. Okay? 
We have this. We've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. You have long-suffering. You have forgiveness. You have charity. You have mercy. You have humility. Why? Because you have Christ. And Christ is the epitome of all of those things. Verse number 14 says, Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. That's a wonderful verse. I wish we could... Spend an entire week on that verse. Charity is the bond of perfectness. And perfectness in your Bible, it's, it's not sinlessness necessarily. It's completion. It's completeness. Charity is the bond of perfectness. And, and, and what we learn from the New Testament about charity is that it is the height. It is the pinnacle of Christian maturity. A real mark of spirituality we tend to think it's the external things. The way that we appear, the things that we do, the service that we perform. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are. But the externals are easier than the internals. And when you study the Bible, the real mark of spirituality, how to know that you've really grown as a Christian, how to know you're becoming more like Christ... It's not how many chapters of the Bible you read a day. It's not how many ministries you're involved in at church. It's not uh, how strict your dress code is. And again, I'm for all of those things. I'm not against any of those things. But the bond of perfectness is charity. It's when we have a Christ-like love in our hearts that is demonstrated to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 5 is your cross-reference. It says the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a faith unfeigned. What, it, it, it's where God is trying to get us. It's the zenith that we're trying to attain to. Okay, It's charity. It's the bond of perfectness. Not only is it the pinnacle of Christian maturity, charity is the glue that holds the church together. The bond, right? The adhesive. Because the fact of the matter is, there are going to be things in your relationships with one another in the church house that are going to have a tendency to pull you apart. There's going to be stress, and there's going to be friction, and there's going to be disagreements, and there's going to be offenses, and there are going to be things that are going to threaten to pull you apart. But charity is the glue that is going to hold you together. You're going to have to learn how to love people the way that Christ loved us. It's the bond of perfectness. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15. The Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. There we have the maturity aspect of charity. But then verse number 16, From from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that, which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working, the measure of every part maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. See, see, God wants us to join together. And God wants us to be compacted. That is real close. Tight. He, he wants that, that fitting to be, it, it can't be loose, right? How are we going to be fitly joined together? How are we going to be compacted if we will edify one another in love. Charity is the bond 
of perfectness. But here's what's going to here, here's what it's going to take for me to put on charity. Here's what it's going to take for me to put on forgiveness. Here's what it's going to take for me to put on mercy. Here's what it's going to take for me to not get offended and not cut people off and write people off and 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 not be an offense. It's going to take humility. You can't be proud and put on all these things. You can't be self-centered and put on all these things. You can't be self-focused and enjoy Christian fellowship. You got to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not right to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now, th- this is the key to Christian fellowship. You will only enjoy Christian fellowship to the extent to which you are willing to humble yourself. What does Proverbs say? Only by pride cometh con- come contention. You know why people wreck churches? Pride. You know why people destroy relationships? Pride. You know why people can't get along with each other? Pride. Pride. Number one, Christ-centeredness. Number two, humbleness. And then number three this morning, thankfulness. I didn't do this on purpose because it's Thanksgiving to God Day this week, but thankfulness. It's in the passage, verse number 15. Colossians 3, verse 15. I'm in Ephesians 4, 15. That says something different. Colossians 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. That's a great verse. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And Brother James preached on it recently, covering the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. The peace of God, that is the very peace that God possesses. And that's an incredible peace. That is a peace that passes understanding. That's the peace that allowed Jesus Christ to be on a sleep, on a pillow, in the bottom of the ship, while the ship was in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and all the disciples were afraid for their lives. Jesus Christ taking a nap. He's not worried about it in the least. And he said, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. You can have God's peace. If you're saved, if you'll allow that peace to rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. But in the context of this passage, we're not necessarily speaking of of, of us individually, just by ourselves. What's our context? We're talking about relationships. When the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, it... It, it's within this framework of how we relate to one another. It's, it's, it's in addition to where it follows from this humility and forgiveness and love and mercy and, and all of those things that we put on in verses 12 through 14. If we'll do that, then we can have the peace of God. And think of it in this way. If we have offended God the way that we have offended God and if we were his enemies and he sent his son to die so that we could have 
peace with him, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. If God can be at peace with us and he lives in us, he can enable us to live at peace with one another. You see what I'm saying? If God can have peace with us, then we can have peace with each other. In Colossians 3, I think that's the sense of letting the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body. You see, we can have a peaceful, happy, harmonious existence within the body of Christ. If we'll allow Jesus Christ to work all of those things within us, Christ-centeredness, humbleness, and then number three, thankfulness. Look at how the verse ends. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. Now, we could take this in a number of different directions. We have so much to be thankful for this morning. And I hope you'll spend some time this week purposefully expressing your gratitude to a God who's been so good to every one of us. Every good and perfect gift is, is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. Every blessing you enjoy, every blessing you ever have enjoyed, every blessing you will enjoy it is due to the goodness of God. And, and we ought to give him thanks, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, right? So many things to be thankful for. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. If, if you receive no other blessing in this life than forgiveness and salvation and hope of eternal life, that would be enough to thank God for all of eternity. Right? But in the context of Colossians 3, this thankfulness is attached to the body of Christ. This thankfulness is attached to one another. Right? Let me show you what Paul was thankful for. Come with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. How can we enjoy Christian fellowship? Put Christ in the middle, humble ourselves, and learn to be thankful for one another. Thankfulness. Not just for all the things God has done. Thankfulness for the people that allow you to practice verses 12 through 14. Thankfulness. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 8. The Bible says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He's writing a letter to the believers in Romans. And he says, Guys, I am so thankful to God for you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse number 4 opens much the same way. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you're enriched by him in all utterance, all knowledge of his testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. And he goes on. You know what Paul said when he opened the letter, the first epistle to the people, the believers at Corinth? He said, I'm thankful for you. Now, wait a second. Remember who these people were? The most carnal bunch in the New Testament. The rest of the book is a string of rebukes. He's correcting problem after problem after problem within that local church. But you know what he started with? Man, I'm thankful for you guys. We'd be tempted to look at the situation in Corinth 
and say there's not a whole lot to be thankful for. But Paul said, Paul found something to be thankful for. And if, if we're not humble, we'll look around us and we won't find a whole lot to be thankful for sometimes. But all of us have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm not just talking about the blessings that God has enriched our lives with, but the people that God has surrounded us with. you got to learn to be thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says it in Ephesians 1.16 and Philippians 1.3 and Colossians 1.3, 1 Thessalonians 1.2, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. I don't think I have to read every one of those passage, passages in order to get the point, but he is thankful for God's people. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse number 2, I feel like I want to look at this one. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. Start in verse number 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful. Unthankful. This, this characterizes the peril of the last days. Let me ask you, does it characterize your life? I hope not. Because it's going to make, make it real hard for you to live at peace with the people that God has placed in your life. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Let's turn there. We'll, we'll make that the last passage. Philippians chapter 4. In verse number 6, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Okay? So, we are supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray about everything. But as we pray, we are supposed to give thanks. Our, our supplications ought to be accompanied by thanksgiving. Our Prayer requests ought to be accompanied by thanksgiving. So we ought to pray for one another. We find that all through the New Testament. But as you pray for each other, remember to be thankful. Because being thankful for people will help you treat them the right way. Being thankful will really make our relationships more of what they ought to be. So the three keys to Christian fellowship are Christ-centeredness, in Colossians 3, Christ-centeredness, humbleness, and thankfulness. And look, guys, this is so important for you to learn right now. That there is no better time to get this down than right now. Because there are so many people who never learn to do this. To, 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 to get along, to, to put others first, to put Christ at the center, to exercise forgiveness, to demonstrate charity. A lot of people never learn how to have proper relationships. And they end up living very unhappy lives. Destroys families, destroys homes, it destroys churches, it hurts them, and it hurts others. It is so important 
to learn this now, just to figure out how to get along. And, and within the body of Christ, it is 100% absolutely possible. He's, the Lord has given us everything he need, everything we need when we put the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've got all this in the closet. We've just got to put it on. Christ-centeredness, humbleness, thankfulness. God help us. We can have the right kind of relationships. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, for making all this possible, I pray that you work it in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be willing to let your peace rule and dominate and control. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.